So, great big good morning. Wonderful to have you here, whether you're joining us online or you're joining us live here with our studio audience. It's wonderful to have you here at New Church Live. And, and today is a special service, one, in, one that is near and dear to my heart. And we've been doing this for years, finding ways to support families who are struggling with addiction. So no matter whether you're tuning in and you're the one who's struggling or you're in a family that's struggling or you have friends that are struggling, this is a service where we just want to start with this. We are welcoming it all. There's no guilt trips. <laughs> There's no coulda, woulda, shouldas. There, there are ways that we're going to try to hold this from a perspective that has a softness and has a love and has a hope that we believe God is asking us to bring to times that can be incredibly hard. So join me in that today. It's going to be a wonderful service. We're going to hear from a number of different people, as well as have a wonderful guest speaker, Darren White, here at the second part of the service. So with that, friends, let's go ahead and get started. And I was thinking, this is the whole objective of today's service. So I want you to hold your hand down in front of you, and I want you to squeeze as tight as you can. And then I want you to let it go. Today is about what it feels like, that great, peaceful letting go. It's not letting go of work. It's not letting go of effort. It's not letting go of trying to work towards sobriety. None of that. But it's, but it's letting go of all the fears and the worries and the concerns that can run riot in our mind. And trying to find deep within that an incredible peace. Because we all have so many different perspectives on addiction and, and how it works and and, and what we can do about it. And it was interesting, we had, a, we had a planning team on this. This is a picture of those folks. Big thank you to all of them. Again, the whole way from up in Canada to the whole way down in Key West. And, and we were talking about it. It's interesting just to hear everybody's perspectives on this. And it's a humbling thing as well. Because one of the, one of the phrases that we use a lot, a lot of phrases that we use in our, in our culture today, a lot of the phrases we use actually trace back to the Bible. One of, one of the phrases we use a lot is, oh, yep, that's their cross to bear. And that's what addiction can feel like. It can feel like a cross that we bear. Now, where does that line come from? And here is where that line comes from. This is from Matthew 16. Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And it's the idea, folks, that, that you know, this, these journeys are challenging. I mean, that's, Jesus is so clear about that. These journeys are hard and challenging. And to me, that actually makes life a lot easier to just know that God gets that this is not easy. God totally understands that, totally sees you in the not easiness of this, in the challenges of this, in the heartbreak of this. It was interesting getting ready for this. I was reading an interview with a father who was talking about his, his son who struggled with addiction. And he said what he, found, what he has found his life to be, listen to these words, is a relentless cycle of worry, hope, and chaos where no day is ordinary. Those kind of statements, I think, very much ground us. Again, that idea of worry, hope, and chaos, it's very much part of life. And the idea, here's Jesus saying, yeah, you know what? We've we, we got to carry our cross. We've got to carry these hard things forward in life. And what does that mean? Well, here's, here's just a few thoughts on that. I think it means life is hard. I think we are to look squarely at the mess, squarely at how challenging it is. And we're to hold on to hope. We're to hold on to hope. And that's so much, folks. Like When we started like this, and I said, think like this, I want us to think this way and, and to maybe just have that release where we can just feel a little hope today. Now, now, what kind of hope am I talking about here? What kind of hope do I mean? Well, it's very easy to stand in a place where we think of hope with a, as a thin slice. You know, I hope to win the lottery ticket. I hope the Eagles win tonight. I hope, you know, you fill in the blank, right? Whatever it is. And it's this narrow hope, and it's a hope that's got a closure to it. In other words, it's got an end. It's very highly defined. And the challenge with addiction, I think, is this. And I was preaching on this to, to a college group that I work with on Fridays. You know, addiction stories are tough. 
they don't always end well. And it's easy to get caught up in this real narrow hope that, that if I just do the right thing, say the right things, that there's, there's this way that I'm going to do it. I'm going to absolutely solve the problem. Now, sometimes does that happen? Sometimes do we find solutions? Obviously, many of you who are watching us here today have found those solutions. Found it through programs like 12 Steps, Celebrate Recovery, a number of other programs. And yet not everyone does. And so how is it that we can just breathe into this? And just breathe with me here for a second. How can we breathe into a hope that doesn't have that kind of closure to it? Where this hope becomes a rhythm of our life. This hope becomes a bedrock, a foundation for how we approach things. This hope becomes, and somebody brought this up at, at an online little forum we had, you know, this hope almost becomes a goal in and of itself, just the goal of hope. Because as we say often in here, hope is this, hope is love stretching into the future. What does that mean? Well, that means that love stretching into the future is hope. It means no matter where you, where you are coming from today, wherever that might be, whatever position, whatever life circumstance, that there's still hope because there's still love. And, and the hope may not be an objective thing that we get to see realized in nice, neat, tidy boxes. It may just be the stream of you knowing that you're loved and you're held and we're on the journey home. So to look at that, folks, today, as the musicians come out, I ask you just to think about the way that hope can work and how God oftentimes like breaks through into our lives very quietly, very gently, breaks in from below, not necessarily always big thunderclaps from above. And we're gonna celebrate that today. We're gonna celebrate that long and windy road and we're gonna celebrate it all holding the whole journey today with hope. Folks, I am so glad you're here. I'm so glad our online audience is joining us, and I want to welcome all of you. Welcome to New Church Live. The long and winding road that leads to your will never disappear seen that road before it always leads me here leads me to your door the wild and windy night that the rain washed away has left a pool of tears crying for the day why leave me waiting here let me know the Many times I've been alone And many times I've cried And anyway, you'll never know The many ways I've tried But still they lead me back To the long winding road You left me standing here A long, long time ago Don't keep me waiting here Let me know the way Still they 
back to the long and winding road you left me standing here a long long time ago why What a beautiful song, and, and that, that long, windy road, it's, it's just, it's an important be- way to hold it, right? The road is long, the road is, is challenging, the road is blessed and it's broken, it's all these things. And yet again, I think God holds us through that all. Now, now, to, now to start on this, with looking at this as we get ready to hear from Darren, is, is I want to talk first just, just about, you know, how complicated this stuff is. I want to say... You know, addictions, folks, we can be looking at many different kinds of addictions. And one of the ones in this Philadelphia area that's been particularly hard is the opioid addiction. And it's important to understand, right, that there's a physical component of it as well as a spiritual component of it. And it's easy to just, I I think, forget about the physical part, which makes it so hard for some people. I had a friend, and he put it this way, and I loved this analogy. He said, you know, addiction is like this. Addiction is like this big, hairy gorilla. It's in a cage. And a lot of people can walk in, and they can kind of pat the gorilla, pet the gorilla, and then they can walk out of the cage. And then you watch someone else do the same thing. They walk in, and then they back out. And then there's that person. Or for whatever reason, whatever, because of their physiology that they reach in, they touch the gorilla, and the gorilla grabs them. I think that's a great picture of how addiction can work in people's lives. And we look at just the physical nature of it. I mean, just a simple one in doing research around this. You know, the idea, you know, two chemicals in our body, dopamine, which gives us a sense of desire, and serotonin, which gives us a sense of contentment. And this was one that that I didn't know. I didn't know this. That when when you look at serotonin, It gives us this sense of contentment. When somebody struggles with addiction, particularly over things like fentanyl, the problem is that receptor for contentment gets blocked. I mean, just literally, trying to understand what it must be like for somebody really struggling with an opioid addiction, imagine for yourself, if you're not one of those people, what it would be like if you could not find contentment. All there was was this desire for a rush. It was this desire for desire. That should humble us. That should humble us. And then there's also, folks, this spiritual side to things as well. In the spiritual life, you know, we kind of have two things that oftentimes are at odds. The first part, which is this really good part, is is this idea of our best intentions. Sometimes people want to know, like, well, how do I know God is speaking to me? Like, what is God saying to me? How is God communicating with me? Look at your best intentions. Doesn't mean you follow through on them. (laughs) But you want to know how God's speaking to you? Look at your best intentions. And, And the beautiful part of it, I find, folks, with those best intentions, and I say this a lot, is all these years doing this work and in life, I, I can honestly say I've never met anyone who didn't have a best intention in there somewhere. Now, maybe it may be asleep to it. They may not be able to live into it. They may live in a way that is exact opposite of that. But I know, allow the conversation to go long enough, we do find the best intention in people. So that's one part. We've got this best intention. Important spiritual thing goes back, goes way back to the story of creation. Story of creation, original blessing. We are blessed, we are good, we are very good. That's the original blessing. And then there's this other part, you know, the other part that is driven by compulsion. What's that for you? What can't you say no to? 
Some of it is light. French fries. <laughs> Some of it's much heavier than that. Some of it are things that I just can't say no to that thing. That's a compulsion. And I think so much of, of our spiritual lives that God walks with us on is, is as we're constantly fighting this, this, this idea that we have this best intention and here's this compulsion. Folks, talk to somebody who's addicted. That's one of the hardest parts of it. I've never met anyone, I mean never, have met anyone in the throes of serious addiction who was like, this is a great idea. This is terrific. Doesn't happen. Because they know that they have good intentions. They know they want to make a difference in the world. They know they want to step out. They know they want to connect with their families. They know they want to belong. They know oftentimes they want their kids back. They know all those things. Those are the best intentions. That is God speaking to them. And the gorillas grab them. And they're also struggling with these compulsions. And how do you kind of hold the two? How do, you, how do you balance them out? Part of what drives this problem, I think, folks, drives it a lot in, in our culture, you know, is, is this idea of idolatry. And I'm going to use that in a metaphorical way. It's easy to hold other things up as our God. Pleasure-seeking, all these different things that can get us into that gorilla cage where maybe there are other ways to live life. A line, and this is a beautiful one, this is one of the Ten Commandments. This is from Genesis 20, verse 3. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in the heavens above, on the earth below, or in the waters beneath. That's that idea of idolatry, that we can, we can hold something up and, and we, can, we can look at it and go like, oh yeah, that's the idol, that's idolatry, that's the thing I want to worship. It's, it's a story I've shared in here before, but I haven't shared it for years, and with this many new people, I want to share it again. It's a story of when I was in college, my girlfriend at that time, my wife at this now, you know, we were, we were at a fraternity party, I was uh, president of my pledge class, and we're in, the, we're in the fraternity party, and I'm watching this, this president of the fraternity party, you know, literally funnel beer. There's a funnel, and he's just injecting beer into himself. And I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Because I'm the pres class, pre, I'm, the, I'm the pledge class president. That's going to be me, and everybody's going to be, it's going to be great. And then, and then no joke, no joke. We get out of the party, we're standing there on the sidewalk, right outside of the fraternity house, and my girlfriend at that time, my wife today, looks at me and she goes, that was the stupidest thing I ever saw in my life. Like, I was worshiping that idol, like that's what I wanted to be, and here's my wife going, you know, that's, she wasn't saying idolatry, but she was. I mean, that was a cathartic moment in my life. Changed a lot of things. And listen to this share as my friend Chris Lindbergh shares with the congregation. You know, one way to hold this idolatry, this is a beautiful, beautiful quote from a local pastor, Pastor Andy Crouch. Take a listen. Hi, good morning, everyone. I'm Chris Lindbergh, and I'm joining you today from my home office in Churchville, Pennsylvania. Unfortunately, I can't be there in person. But I'd like to start with some beautiful words from Pastor Andy Crouch. All idols begin by offering great things for a small price. All idols then fail, more and more consistently, to deliver on their original promises, while ratcheting up their demands, which initially seem so reasonable. In the end, they fail completely, even as they make uncategorical demands. In the memorable phrase of psychiatrist Jeffrey Satinover, idols ask for more and more, while giving less and less, until eventually they demand everything and give nothing. Thank you. Hope you enjoy the service today, and God bless you. Thank you for reading that, Chris. And I, that's, that's a beautiful line. I love that last phrase. Eventually they demand everything and give nothing. Eventually. 
They demand everything and give nothing. That's important just for us to be aware of. And, and you know, this idea, I think, is really true. The more pleasure you seek, the more unhappy you get. That life is not about these pursuits of pleasure and distraction. Life is about service and meaning. And we have to wrestle with addictions. We have to wrestle with compulsions. And it's a wrestling, folks, that, that's getting to who we were created to be. Getting to who we were created to be. So as the musicians come out for this next song, just live in that place. Live into that sense of imagination. That sense of what could be if you said goodbye to some of that stuff. And really worked at finding a new path, a new path. When I heard that the theme today was addiction, I immediately went, oh, I have a song for that. Um, I wrote this song years ago. I had a bad, uh, I smoked a lot of cigarettes, and I was always trying to quit. And uh, well, I was always backslide and fall off the wagon, but I never gave up quitting. So um, like I like to say, it was the 294th time. That's what it took. That was the one, it was like you kind of catch that wave or something, but I got the 294th time I tried to quit, I did. And you just, they say you can have anything you want in life if you can just learn to say no. And um, anyway, this song's called Goodbye Jones. And of course, Jones is another word for the craving, uh, whatever it is. And, um, and it's the chorus is like the long goodbye because you don't get it right away. It takes a while to get it. But just stick with it and you can make it. became a habit so now the habits getting kicked it's getting kicked right out the door goodbye Jones well I wanted it in the daytime and I wanted it at night but now I don't want it no more goodbye Jones so long I said goodbye, I said goodbye Jones Well I was hanging on a hook, I had a little monkey on my back I just had to let it go Goodbye, Jones Now there's nothing that you can do And now there's nothing that they can't say I just do not want to know Goodbye, Jones Sayonara Goodbye. I said goodbye I said goodbye, Jones. Goodbye, Jones. Well, it's time to change the old ways. It's time to change the act. I think it's time to take some time. Goodbye, Jones. Weeping and wailing Well, it's a never-ending fight Just to leave it all behind Goodbye, Jones Adios Goodbye I said goodbye 
I said goodbye. Hey everyone, it's Angela. I just want to invite you all to make a donation to support New Church Live. Your donation supports all of the programs that happen here, like our upcoming fall book club. We're going to be reading the book 1000 Gifts and talking about gratitude. As a part of participating, you get a free copy of the book mailed to you. So we hope that you'll participate in this program. It's going to be on Wednesday or Thursday evenings, and it's just a great opportunity to read a book and connect with one another. Again, your financial support supports programs like this. Without your donations, none of it's possible. So we hope you'll make a donation. You can visit our website. You can sign up for the book club on our website, or you can make a donation there or you can text the word new church live all one word all lowercase to 77977 i hope you have a great day and i hope you get involved thank you angela folks great to be able to introduce our speaker for today darren white you know when we look at this journey the best people are people who have traveled it they're the ones who can share a journey and share with it little pieces now again it's their journey it may not be yours but maybe there's just a few little pieces that just give you that sense of hope, just give you that sense that life continues, and that a lot of the time there are some really good endings to some really hard stories. Please warmly welcome Darren White. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Pastor Chuck, for uh, putting this together, for asking me to speak. Really beautiful, beautiful service. Just hear a lot of hope. And uh, I'm going to speak a little bit today on my experience, my strength, and my hope. And my sobriety can really be summed up in three ideas. Probably most importantly, God's grace, hard work, and a little thing that us in 12-step like to call the gift of desperation. So uh, without God's grace and really like having other people and mentorship and my sponsor and friends, none of this would be possible. Like I can't do this alone. And God's grace for me is all the people that have helped me. And there's an element to my sobriety that I just cannot describe. And it's, it's God. Because I have my plans and God has his and they often do not match up. And one of my early mentors said, you know the difference between you and God? God never pretends to be you. And that's the reality in my life is like I have these ideas and these plans and these designs and sometimes it doesn't go my way. And then I struggle. But what I know today is that in the struggle is the, that's where I need God. If life was easy, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't need God. So the, the challenges, the struggles, the, the trials that I go through allow me to keep searching and keep praying and keep working towards solidifying my relationship with God. So just a little bit about my past, and uh, you, can, you can turn the first slide on. I grew up in kind of uh, in a little town called Lederock, Pennsylvania. I had an older brother kind of a normal childhood. My dad worked hard. My mom was a good mom. And in first grade, I had a really bad stuttering problem. Like, I couldn't get a sentence out. And it made me feel different. I had to go to speech class, and I got picked on. And uh, just one of the first memories in my life where I just kind of felt different. And there was like this hole in the soul, I like to call it. So I started playing the piano at the age of five, and people, people would watch me, and it made me feel good, like, wow, I'm good at something. Then I started playing baseball and soccer and drums, and I was loading my life up with all these extracurricular activities because it made me feel good. Because inside, I just didn't, feel, I, I didn't like myself. There was just something missing, the hole in the soul. So in seventh grade, I was voted class clown, and I thought that was the greatest adulation possible, right? So my whole goal, my eighth grade year, was to get that class clown award again, and I did. Congratulations. In eighth grade, most kids are looking at 
going to school, getting good grades, finding a pathway in life, and I was a goofball. So the summer of my eighth grade year, my friends and I decided, we're gonna, we're gonna try drinking. And I'll tell you what, I can summarize the first time I got drunk. It was like, ah, oh, finally. Like I found what I've been looking for. I don't have to make people laugh. I don't have to play the piano. I don't have to, like I just felt okay in my own skin the first time I got drunk. I'll never forget it. And so high school became looking forward to the weekends when I can party with my friends because ah, I just felt okay. So just kind of summarizing my high school years, I still consider high school for the best years of my life, but it was like a progression. In 12-step, we call this, this illness a progression, like it gets worse and it gets worse. So finally in 1999, I'm not going to get into the details, but I progressed to a place of wanting to take my own life. I was doing heavy drugs, I was drinking, uh, my life was spiraling out of control. My family completely detached themselves from me. I had no friends. The only reason I had a job, because I was working for my dad's company, and that was just a matter of time. So, I was sleeping on my friend's couches. Does anyone know another name for sleeping on your friend's couches? Homeless. I was homeless, but I was such in denial about where I was at, at in my life that I couldn't admit it. So I had what we call in 12-step a moment of clarity. It's called the jumping off place. I said, am I going to keep going on this way, destroying myself with no purpose and like emptiness? But the only thing scarier was to imagine life without drugs and alcohol. I was like caught. And so what did I do? I jumped. I jumped. And that truly in my heart of hearts was when God came into my life and I begged for God's help. For the first time in my life, I truly said, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but if I ever needed you, now is the time. And God came into my life in 1999. I took a plane out to Arizona to a treatment center. And I was at this treatment center for seven months. And one of the very first things they had me do in a self-esteem workshop, because I, I didn't like myself at that time. I mean, we're talking self-hatred, remorse, guilt, anger, fear. These were a few of my favorite things at this point in my life. And what they did, they gave me a mirror. And they had me look at that mirror for one hour. That was one of the hardest hours of my entire life. I had to look at me, what I'd become, what I had done, and who I was at that point. But... The thing I had going for me was willingness. Like my tools for living were lying, cheating, and stealing. I was a 22-year-old young punk, all right? I had no skills, I had no tools. So this place broke me down and built me back up. I started going to 12-step meetings. I got a sponsor. I started making friends. I got a job. I just started slowly by slowly piecing my life back together. I got a 30-day chip, like 30 days sober. When I saw someone at a meeting take a year chip, they said they got a year sober, I go, no way. No, it's not possible. If you have what I have, you cannot go one year without putting drugs or alcohol in your system. But that gave me that little spark of hope that I could do it. Maybe it's possible for me. So I got my 30-day chip. Got my 60, my 90, my six months, and sure enough, I got a year sober, and I go, wow. If I can do this, anyone can do it. But that's where that hard work piece comes in. I just celebrated 23 years sober, but that it didn't, it just, it didn't just happen. Thank you. Thank you. That didn't just happen. Like, our program depends on deepening our relationship with, with our creator, it depends on having an entire psychic change. You know, we have to change our heart. My heart and heart, like I said, all those negative feelings I had, the anger, the fear, the, the worry, the, all this junk, like I have to, I have to change that. It doesn't mean I don't struggle with it today because I still do from time to time, but I have the tools on how to deal with, the, 
with all that negativity today and sometimes the negative mindset. So just in my final couple minutes, I just want to share about what my life is like today. My life is nothing less than a miracle and a dream come true. I'm an owner at my company, which is unbelievable to me because <laughs> when I first got sober, I, I mean, I, I didn't know how to balance a checkbook. You know what I mean? I didn't know how to talk to people. Like, I was, my life was in such a mess, but slowly and surely, and again, being an owner of my company, it's thanks to good people, like my dad mentoring me and my sponsor helping me and having other people to lean on when I have uh, tough, tough decisions to make. In 2011, I still consider the best day of my life. I married the love of my life, my best friend, and that was an amazing day. And I always thought people as sick as me don't get married. It just doesn't happen. So I'll never forget when I said to my sponsor, what do you think about me proposing to my wife? I was all nervous thinking he's going to say, no way. And he said, yeah, that's a good idea. And then about two years later, I've, I'm a big kid, okay? I've always wanted to be a dad. But I was scared because I saw, you know, like the fragility of raising a kid and what, what can go wrong and what can, you know. So my son is with me here today, and that was obviously one of the best days of my life, watching my, my uh, son be born. I now have three kids. Um, uh, I live in uh, Harleysville, Pennsylvania. I have a host of friends I have a beautiful relationship with God. Uh, I'm an avid long-distance runner. Uh, I'm a Halloween fanatic. Come, come to my house on Halloween. I put on my, my own little haunted house. I have passions. I have goals. And I'm driven today to succeed and to continue on this journey of recovery. Because let me tell you, without my program, which includes meetings, seeking God, working with other people, like giving, like, in my core still, I am selfish and self-centered, and I know it. And I have to change that part of me. And that's where my sponsor comes in and working with other people comes in. So work in my program is where it all starts. Without that, all these other great things in my life, they go away at some point. And maybe some people in this room know that from having family and friends who may have struggled. My biggest message to you today is that 12-step works. Because I, when, I, when I came in, I was 22. I was this young kid with like, you know, a bunch of old guys that drink coffee and smoke cigarettes. This ain't going to work for me. <laughs> but 12-step is so much more than that. And I'm glad I stuck around long enough to see that. So in my final minute here, I just want to uh, share on something. The hardest thing I went through in my sobriety was in 2004. My brother took his life. And uh, the reality is that you, you can hear hope in my story. I lost two of my aunts as a direct result of alcoholism. I have lost numerous friends from addiction and alcoholism. That's the reality. People do die from this. And I hate saying that, but it's been my reality all these 23 years. So when my brother took his life, it left a huge hole in my family that will never truly be completely filled but I started a scholarship at the high school that my brother went to at Souderton. And what I do is I pick a student who struggles. You know how most of the awards go to the scholars, the athletes, the leaders? I pick a kid that's kind of like a, you know, a, a goofball, but that likes the arts. And we give them some money to help them build a little bit on their dream, just to give them a little love and a little support. And uh, it's been really meaningful. So that's Patrick Davey a couple years ago. The first year we did the scholarship, the, the school kind of picked a candidate, and he was a great young man. But this guy right here exuded my brother. I mean, like, just exuded my brother. So it was so meaningful. There's been so many people to help with this scholarship, to jump on board. So if you get a chance, check it out. It's the HellenicFoundation.com, the Dustin White Scholarship. If you're interested to help and get on board, that would be awesome. Um, I don't have a ton of time to stay afterwards, but I'm going to leave uh, Pastor Chuck with some of my cards. If you have questions, please call me, email me. I would love to talk to you. My life today is contingent upon helping other people. That's my sobriety is based on giving back, helping, and serving. And without that, 
I don't make it. So I want to thank everyone for being here today. Thank you, Pastor Chuck, for allowing me to share. And God bless. Thank you. Wow. Woo. Powerful story. Hopefully you can find something in there that's part of your story. And there are parts that not. You know, when, when Darren said he's an avid long-distance runner, I'm thinking, who loves that? And there were so many powerful pieces in there. This 12-step tradition has a lot of ties in, actually, with, with our particular view towards Christianity. And it comes down to three simple steps. You want to know sort of the, the quick and dirty version of 12 steps. I can't. God you can, God, I'm asking. I can't, you can, I'm asking. Because it was interesting, folks, and, and, and Darren said it, and he said it beautifully, you know, we're, we're wrestling with all this stuff, and we're trying to figure it out, and I was thinking, well, what's, what's sort of the tie that binds through all these different things and all the ways that I've heard of people finding sobriety? And it all comes down to connection. Connection with God. Connection with your true self. Connection with community. And when we start to see all of those, not like as different silos, like there's this connection here and this connection here and this connection here, but when we see all those as sliding together, love the Lord your God and the person right in front of you, like when we see all those sliding together, that's where I think we can find the connection that creates a place where we can find sobriety, where we can find healing in our lives. And, and that healing, folks, that healing is whether you struggle with addiction or not. There's beauty in that. And there's a peace, right? Where it was this, and now it's this. It doesn't mean that when we learn to unclench our fists that life is easy or, or isn't going to have problems anymore. As Darren said, that's really true. It's, it's not like this guarantee. And through that all, we have peace, we have hope, we have love. Hope that is love stretching into the future, love that is hope stretching into the future. And that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. We do want to invite people, if you would like to continue this conversation, we're going to be having a special small group that's going to be Wednesday, October 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You're welcome to text me. You can just take a screenshot of that, 215-740-3662. You're welcome to take a, shoot me a note and send me your email, and we'll sign you up for that continued conversation. We're just going to gather a bunch of people, and as we do here at New Church Live, the vast majority of our congregation, over 90% is online all across the country. So we do a lot of these online small groups. And what they are, they're just a chance for people to just share strength, hope, experience. Just a chance for you to share your journey and to maybe make some connections with some other people who can identify with your journey as well. I mean, that's what you really will hear. You really will hear other people and hear how much their story mirrors yours and vice versa. Very powerful. Now, I do realize that many people will be watching this well after October, October 19th, and you are still more than welcome to text me at any time, and I'd be glad to, to help you out, to talk, to have conversation, to remember about hope, to pray with you, and to remember out connection and its importance in our lives. So we're going to close today with a couple of prayers. The first prayer will be from my dear friend, Nikki Rowney. She's joining us with her husband, Pete, down in Key West. So Nikki's going to do our first prayer, then I'll be out to offer the closing prayer. Nikki. Good morning. At some point, every one of us has dealt with some form of addiction, whether with ourselves or a loved one. I have a rescue prayer to share today. Heavenly Father, the enemy has confused many people and led them to using and becoming addicted. Instead of people worshiping you, they are chasing after addiction. Lord, have mercy on us. Open our eyes to the truth 
and rescue us from the prison of addiction. Many of us want to stop using, but the desire to use seems stronger. We keep falling back to addictive habits, and this has left many discouraged. Lord, uphold us with your righteous hand, that they may stand firm and get clean. In Jesus' name, I believe and pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nikki. And now please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for what all was shared here today. Thank you for the people who participated, who helped to plan this service, as well as, Lord, allow all those out there right now struggling with addiction. Allow them, Lord, to just hear our tender prayer, a prayer of love and hope and concern and holding. In some days, Lord, that's the best we can do is just to allow others to know that they are loved, to help as best we can, to know that there is hope, to listen to your word, to listen to the magic of I can't, you God can, and we, we are asking. Place us in that spot, Lord, and lead us home and hear our prayer. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, bring you peace, and bring you home. And may we all remember, Lord, one to another, stand by me.
stand by me, stand by me. Whenever you're in trouble, won't you stand by me? Oh, oh stand by me. Oh, stand by me. Stand by me. Stand by me. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week.